Welcome back everyone to the ultra running experience. Today we have Jason Wish with us. He is well known for his FKTs, his trifecta, namely with the Shell Toey Trace Trail. He's done it supported, self-supported, and unsupported. He has held the fastest known time for each of those at one point and currently holds it for the supported, which uh, we're going to touch on today. Jason, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate yeah. it. I'm looking forward to talking with you, Charlie. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, so how are you feeling post trail and, uh, and recovery and all of that? Yeah. Um, it's been four and a half weeks now since I finished my supported attempt on the Sheltoe Trace. And I would say it took at least three weeks for me to finally turn that corner and feel yeah. like I was, you know, getting back to normal. And even now, coming up on five weeks, I still have a lingering issue in my left knee mm. and uh, down in one of my in my right foot near my big toe. I, I, I almost wonder if I maybe stress fractured something when I was out there because I just went on a backpacking trip in the Cranberry Wilderness uh, last week, and I definitely didn't have all my energy back. It was yeah. it was a tough hike, and you know I'm not used to backpacking. I've been doing so much running lately. And, yeah, that's uh, a, you know, doing supported stuff and ultra races that uh, I kind of forgot that, you know, if you don't train and wear a backpack all the time, you're going to get sore and tired pretty quick. So, no. yeah, the recovery process is going well. Um, I'm thinking here in a couple more weeks, I'll be back to 100 percent. The weight loss is the part that's taken a while to come back because mm. I, I throughout the summer while I was training for this, um, I probably lost close to 10 pounds since last winter you know just during the seven or eight months that i was really focused on training for this and i was at my optimal race weight i would say but then i lost another five pounds during the, the actual attempt so, so i've gotten that back and finally getting some of the other poundage back but i'm still uh got a little ways to go so the weight loss prior was intentional i would guess you have a weight that you've kind of dialed in as far as what works best for you or yeah, I was probably, you know, I, I didn't train. I don't ever really train much during the winter when it's yeah. or snow and ice on the ground. I just don't enjoy that. So, you know, I had a little bit of winter weight put on. And then when we come into the summer season, um, I'm a produce farmer. So I'm outside and active all summer long, sweating out in the sun. So, you know, I naturally just drop a few pounds in the summer oh, with my sure career. Yeah. Um, but then you add on training every day you know whatever it was 30 40 50 miles a week on top of that then it's hard to eat enough calories to keep my weight that i have oh. and i'm already a pretty slender guy so i guess before we really get into the fkts and stuff maybe touch on what kind of got you into it i mean were you into sports growing up or is this just something that came about later on in life or yeah. Um, well, I grew up on our family farm and I was always in the outdoors. I was a very active child, playing in the woods, building forts, climbing trees. Um, even as a teenager, I remember uh, biking to school every day. You know, a couple of years there in uh, sixth, seventh grade, I was, I was bicycling to school before I started driving. So I, I was always on the move, always active. Um, we had, you know, we milked cows. I was a dairy farmer for most of my life, my earlier life half of my life and uh you know baling hay and straw you know all those um things that keep you active and uh yeah so i felt like uh even as a 
a kid, I had a pretty good fitness base. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, when I was about 14, we uh, had this book of farm records. That's what I called it. And all the neighborhood kids and I would participate in these obstacle obstacle courses around the farm that I would make because I was the oldest one in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Even things like running around a field, which might be a half mile or a mile long. And we would time each other. So we were always doing time trials and obstacle courses. So I was, always had this little competitive drive mm-hmm. to do things as fast as I could to see if I could do them faster than everybody else. But uh, after that, um, throughout high school, I ran cross country for four years, not my senior year, eighth grade through my junior year. And I was good, really competitive in eighth grade. And I never really improved in high school. We had a really competitive team. So it was, I didn't even make varsity. And I never really enjoyed it to be honest with you. And I remember thinking when I quit my senior year and didn't run, uh, I was glad. I was like, I'm not going to miss running at all. And (laughs) I didn't think I would ever really run again. So fast forward 30 some years, I'm in my, (laughs) I'm 49 right now. So I think I was 43 or something like before, before I started backpacking at all. And I'd gotten my farming career basically where I wanted it. And that was always a challenge for me. You know, that was what I put all of my drive and um, ambitions into for 30, you know, 20 some years, building my farming business to where I wanted it. And I was kind of looking for something new, a new challenge. What could I challenge myself with? Mm -hmm. And that's when my wife suggested you should go on a solo backpacking trip just to get away from the farm, get away from all the people that you're working with every day and get out in the woods and try some backpacking. So I did that and it was a local trail here in our, in, in Ohio and it was only like a 22 mile loop, but I spent three days out there backpacking and that led to another backpacking trip and another backpacking trip. And I wanted to start seeing how far I could go. You know, I had, a, I had like three days of backpack and I was like, I want to see this entire trail. I wonder if I can get around this entire trail in the allotted time that I have. Yeah. So I found myself hiking fast and trying to complete it in the short amount of time that I had. And then uh, that continued to evolve a little bit as I got into you. I was when I started YouTube as well. I wanted to film yeah. my adventures to kind of help others, you know, document my adventures so people could see where they could go backpacking as well. And I started hanging out with some other Ohio YouTubers. And I always noticed that I was usually out in front of the pack. And one of the guys actually was uh, also a little bit of a trail runner. And he suggested I look at doing FKTs. And I'd never even heard what it was. Yeah. I had no idea what an FKT was. So. I, I dove into that and started researching it and it sounded really, really exciting. It's like, you know, I got all this ultralight gear. I like to hike fast. I like to push myself and challenge myself. I was like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I need to try. Yeah. So that's kind of how all that started. Now, if you don't mind kind of explaining a little bit of what exactly an FKT is and as well as uh, the various like sections of it, like the supported, mm-hmm. self-supported and unsupported for those that may right. not know as much about it yeah because uh you, you mainly focus on ultra running you know talking with other ultra runners and yeah but i think so a many, lot of it's so starting to cross over as there's a lot of the bigger name guys or that have are starting to get into it like you have a michael mcknight he's trying oh yeah arizona trail and then there's been a couple guys that have done the PCT. So I think it's it's really starting to gain more and more interest as far as yeah. people are just starting to go further and further. But yeah, if you don't mind yeah, I think you're right. explaining that a little bit. Yeah, I'll try to here real quick. Um, 
So FKT is just an acronym for fastest known time. And it's basically, and it's the simplest way to explain it is, is that it's a speed record on a trail. So, you know, you don't, you're not running with a group of other people. You have no start time. You have no entry fee. There's not even really a, I, I guess there kind of is a governing body. I mean, there's the FKT website where you, if you go out and attempt an FKT and complete it, you have to submit uh, verification in some form, whether you're using your smartphone and uh, like Gaia and or a, a Coros watch or a Garmin watch and then link it to Strava. A lot of times they'll just want the Strava links. So there's three different styles of fastest known time. There's uh, unsupported, self-supported, and supported. So for you ultra runners out there, uh, supported is probably the most like an ultra race or a marathon because you have a crew with you. You have aid stops. Uh, you don't have to, uh, you're allowed to purchase anything you want along the way. Mm. You can run with a vest, I mean, or nothing. You can have your crew mule your stuff for you. So it's pretty much anything goes. You start your watch, you take off running, and you can have all the help that you want. And those are usually the faster times. So that is, it on the shorter trails, you uh, tend to see, well, no, I guess I, I take that back. The shorter trails, a lot of times the guys will go unsupported, and I'll touch on that yeah. here in a second. But the supported ones um, are the more usually the longer trails because you can't carry everything in one shot. You got to have supplies along the way to yeah. to get through, like a PCT or AT or something like that. And then you get the other end of the spectrum, which is unsupported. That's where you can have no outside support whatsoever. You're not allowed to buy anything. You aren't allowed to have even contact with friends or family. Um, because like, that's considered emotional support. Um, yeah. You could, you're obviously going to run into people on the trail from time to time, but you're not allowed to take a snack from them or water from them. You can't stop at a motel. You can't um, buy anything at a gas station. You know, it's, you start with everything in your pack. Hmm. And I think you're not even supposed to throw out your trash. I think you have to start with everything and end with everything. Yeah. At the end. So, you know, if you overpack food, and you have still 10 pounds of food at the end, you know, that was your problem from not planning properly and, or not eating all your food. So you're carrying all that extra weight with you. And then you got the self-supported, which is uh, a little bit of both styles. You are allowed to put out resupply bags for yourself. You still can't have any outside help. You can't have a crew. You can't, um, well, you have, you can drop as many bags as you want. So there's a lot of leeway in the self-supported. Maybe if it's a, for example, when I did mine, it was a three, it's like a 340 mile trail. The first time I did it that way, I only put out a resupply bag in the middle at the halfway point. Oh, but wow. then when I started, I realized later on that I could have put a resupply bag out 10 times if I wanted to. Yeah. So if I would do that again, you know, I would put out as many as I could, maybe carry just enough for each day, but you're still not allowed to see hmm. friends and family or have any kind of outside support whatsoever. How much of a learning curve was it for you? just you know from when you started as far as getting like your nutrition dialed in the gear you wanted to use uh, i know mm -hmm. you mentioned going ultra light which i mm -hmm. even for me before i even got into any trail races or ultra running i had done some very small backpacking trips but i was very into watching just like vlogs of people who are doing through hikes and it's just a wrap mm -hmm to go down once you get into like the gear world of backpacking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can spend a lot yeah, of for sure. There, but I mean, it's, 
I mean, I'm sure it makes a big difference. People, I mean, if you think about it, just over the course of time, offloading some of that weight, it's going to make a huge difference for your, uh, absolutely. Yeah. As, as far as nutrition goes, I didn't know what I was doing back in 2019 when I did my first self-supported attempt. I just took backpacking food with me. Yeah. yeah I, I kind of maybe knew a little bit about the calories per ounce, you know, higher the calories per ounce, obviously the lighter your load's going to be and you're going to have more fuel. So I was trying to eat high calorie foods that were lightweight, but a lot of my food was still dense protein bar stuff, like, like cliff bar type things. I didn't know anything. I wasn't in ultra racing at all. So I didn't even know what tailwind was, for example, yeah, or scratch or those. I didn't know any of those uh, liquid, you know, powder fuels were with electrolytes. I didn't know anything about electrolytes or salts. So I was just basically going at this as a backpacker would an ultralight backpacker. Mm. And um, I, I think after a couple of years, it probably wasn't until 2021 or 22 that I, I started uh, getting into ultra running a little bit and researching. Like you said, you know, you can get in, you can go down that rabbit hole and never, and never quit you know there's so yeah. much to learn out there and i started absorbing just as much information as i could about fueling properly um for long distance um, attempts like that and making sure you're uh, getting the right amount of salt and electrolytes especially if you're sweating so yeah, yeah and i'm still learning i actually and we'll touch on this a little later i'm sure about some of the problems i dealt with on my last my latest attempt there's still some things i don't know and i'm curious about and it's just one of those things that you can never quit learning you know there's always something new coming out to learn and gaining experience from others that have done this yeah that's i i still have yet to figure out the nutrition side of doing anything long distance because there's been times where i can eat anything that i've wanted at races and nothing happened and then there's been other times where i kind of stayed more strict with gels and tailwind and uh mm -hmm saltier things and my stomach would just turn so i think i i have noticed though i do a lot better in the colder weather as far as my stomach goes as opposed to doing anything warmer but um so which one did you do first was it the unsupported or self-supported it was the self-supported so i okay. did it self-supported in 2019 hmm. and then i went unsupported in 2021 and then just recently the uh, just last month, the supported style. So which one do you think posed the most problems for you and which one kind of went the best do you think so far out of those? Yeah. I think this latest one went the best and poses the least amount of problems. As long as you have a good crew, good weather, and you remember to pack everything you needed. But even if you didn't, like we ran out of ice, for example, and I was having some swelling in one of my ankles, they were able to run to town 10 miles down the road when I went to do another 10 mile section, for example, and get me fresh ice. Mm -hmm. um, I ran out of uh, vitamin C. I was told I had some swelling on, on uh, my right ankle and, and like edema and we could not get it to go down. It was starting to spread. And, uh, one of my friends said, you've got to one way you can tackle this by not stopping to ice it and elevate it for a long time. Cause you know, you're on a time crunch out there is to take gelatin and extra vitamin C, start pumping the vitamin C and gelatin. Wow. And I didn't really have a chance to talk to him much, but he's, I was like, what form of gelatin am I going to get out here in the middle of nowhere? I told the guys, just go pick up a big pack of jello. Yeah. So I was like eating jello and pumping the vitamin C. And I think it actually helped. The edema really started going down as I progressed through the trail and I, I thought it would get worse, but yeah, you know, I was able to 
kind of curbed that a little bit. And I don't know if that's some little secret that some people know about that I just discovered or what, but it, it worked a little bit. Have you experienced that type of swelling before, or is that kind of new as far as that goes? Or? Um, yeah. On my first attempt in 2019, I had really bad swelling and edema and I didn't even know what calf sleeves were mm, back then. Yeah. I didn't wear anything like that. Um, I just wore my regular hiking socks, darn tough hiking socks with some, uh, ultra out the, I don't know if it's ultra or ultra, you know, the ultra shoes, like Lone Peak shoes, um, trail shoes. And, uh, yeah, I think just the pounding, the continuous pounding all day long with a heavy pack. Cause there is, there is 40 miles of road on the Sheltoe trace. Yeah. And one of the days you're on the road, if you hit it right and don't split it up, you're going to have almost 18 miles of road. And that is, that's quite a pounding on your feet especially when you're carrying a pack and I yeah, I started getting some pretty bad swelling in my ankles during that. A question about the shell toey. I know I, I've researched it quite a bit myself and really, I, th I think I want to say I probably did find your videos around 2020 or so. And I've watched the first two and uh, just reading a lot of stuff from other people as well with that trail. I was always scared of doing it myself because of these dogs that I hear mm. about that people are, it's like always like the main complaint. It's like on the Facebook group, I've seen people post about it. And did you ever run into anything like that or? Yeah. Um, in, uh, in my second attempt in 2021, my unsupported attempt, um, at least twice I had maybe three times I had dogs run out on the road at me and I thought they were going to attack me. Mm -hmm. Um, they never, they never touched me, but they're, they're very, very territorial. There's a lot of loose dogs cause you're out in rural Kentucky and, uh, mm -hmm. the, the people tend to leave their dogs run loose. And I think they, they, for the most part, they stay on their property. They're just territorial and it's a good way to warn the line owners that people might be near their property. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're going to attack you, but I have heard of attacks happening. I, you know, like I said, I thought I was going to get bitten and I had a, a meat stick, like a little beef jerky stick with me. And I actually fed it to the dog and cause I thought he was going to come up and attack me. But there was a couple of times I had to hold my poles out in front of me and I like, clang them together. I did have bear spray or like not bear spray, like a little mace bottle, a little uh, yeah. dog spray or something. I could spray at them, pepper spray. Um, and then as a last resort, I was carrying my 380 on that one. Yeah. My little sidearm <laughs> pistol with me the whole way. And looking back on it, I don't think that was necessary. It was extra weight, but I don't yeah. know. I, when you're out there for, at the time, that was seven days. Yeah. Seven straight days out in the middle of nowhere and new territory. And most of the time it's out in the middle of the deep dark woods at night. Mm -hmm. You just feel a little more comfortable carrying a pistol with you, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Even though it, if I did see a bear or a mountain lion, it would probably just, scared or make it more mad but you know i still <laughs> felt better carrying it. <laughs> definitely so i guess backtracking a little um i know you had mentioned some other trails and i looked at your fkt site i saw you've done the i probably will mispronounce this the susquehannock trail system and you had that mm -hmm. FKT at one time in the quahanna trail in the Oak backpack trail um I am a little curious on the first to mention there. Now, is that because my wife, her parents, they live in Haver de Grace, Maryland. And I think the Susquehanna okay. River kind of meets, uh, I don't know what it meets there, but uh, they have a 
it's the Susquehanna trail system or park. And I'm actually doing a 50 K there this year. It's called the really? 50 K it's there in that okay. or whatever, but where exactly are those trails at? So those are in North central PA. I think there's a Susquehanna or Susquehanna, and maybe there's another Susquehanna, um, you know, like the, the river and the park you're yeah. talking about. I think that's more on the Eastern Southeastern side of the state, maybe. Yeah. Close, yeah. Closer to Philly. Maybe I yeah. can't remember. But sense. these are uh, these are north central PA in the in the wild. There's the the Hammersley Wild Area um, mm. of PA. It's just a really remote wild area. Um, it's just untouched, and you know, there's elk herds out there. It's just a beautiful um, rolling hills, small mountains area of Pennsylvania. And there's quite a bit of elevation change on that Susquehannock. But yeah, the Susquehannock was an 86 mile loop. I guess I was always leaning towards finding loop trails instead of end yeah. ends. You don't have to worry about finding shuttles. Just so much easier to do it when you're doing things solo. So both of those, the Quihana and the Susquehannock, uh, one, the Quihana is 74 and the Susquehannock was 86. And they're actually connected by a, another trail in addition okay. to the Black Forest Trail. You've probably heard of the Black Forest. There's actually, yeah. there might be an altar on the Black Forest. I can't remember. But that's a 40, that one's like a 44-mile loop. And then it goes on over to the West Rim or the, they call it the Grand Canyon of Pennsylvania. They're mm -hmm. all connected by uh, trails. So it's okay. just a really cool area to go backpacking in. And for me, you know, just wanted to test myself on a, on a shorter FKT. So that brings something else up I wanted to tell yeah. you, that, yeah. you know, let you know what my thoughts are on 100 milers. Like the 86 miler is pretty close to 100 miler. And yeah. congratulations, by the way, on your 100 miler <laughs> you just completed. That was pretty incredible. Uh, thank you. I'm still. And you broke, you broke 24 hours, didn't you? Yeah, but I had dealt with a lot of swelling in my right foot post-race. I mean, uh, it's so weird how the body works. It's like I, it was kind of a death march the last 10 to 15 miles mm. for me. But uh, it's like once I crossed the finish line and sat down, I was like concerned about even getting to the car, which was only like 20, 30 feet away. I had to like wow. lean on my wife and stuff. But yeah, yeah. it's 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 a long way <laughs> it's a long yeah, way it is i i was just talking about this with some other people about how i think a 100 miler for me is more difficult mm. than finishing these 350 milers i did because really? when you get to that at least for me and i think this it holds true for a lot of other people that run these 100 milers when you hit 70 that 65 to 85 mile range oh yeah your body has just been depleted and that's when I need sleep. I start getting a little sore, maybe a little distressed stomach and just really tired. And it is just, I start losing motivation and drive to continue. And I've failed on 200 milers. Yeah. But I've been able to do 350 milers three times now. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. You, when I, the first time I went out for a hundred miler, I was like, this is going to be a cakewalk. What a joke. Right. I just did 350 miles twice. How could I not finish a 100 miler? Sure enough, I got to 83 miles on both of them, and I bailed. That's right. It's, it's tough. It was the 86-mile aid station is when it I was pretty much uh, had to resort to walking. I, probably from mm -hmm. 85 to 90, I was able to keep up around a 15-and-a-half to 16-and-a-half, maybe 17-mile pace, and it just mm -hmm. continued to drop after that. And because that whole race, I kind of was, since it's so flat, I, when I set out, and I could tell a lot of people were doing this because their 
walking mm-hmm. were clicking off and we were just yo-yoing the whole time was I was doing run point eight zero walk point two zero and I did that for like the first okay. fifty or so and then I switched to like run point six five to walk point three five and then it eventually yeah. kept dropping I did held on as long as I could but yeah that's I was curious it is what you were going to say about that because I mean when you were doing the shell toey I mean you're averaging probably 40 50 a lot of the days yeah, right this last time was 55 was that, my average for the yeah. whole the whole time <laughs> I was out there uh 60 mile first first three days were basically 60 miles but then I had some rough stretches and even though my Strava showed I was only maybe getting low 40s for the next couple of days um you look at it as a 24 hour period. How many miles can you get in during that 24 hour period? So I was having to walk longer days, almost 22 hours, stop and rest or try to sleep for one hour and get right back up and go again. So in the end, it still averaged out to be about 55, 56 miles. If you do the math, but yeah, you know, the difference is you get to sleep, yeah. you get to stop and rest and sleep. And it's amazing how much your body can recover even with just a couple hours of sleep and it resets your mind too. you know, a little yeah. bit more, you get some mental focus back and drive just ever after having a little bit of rest yeah it was it's for me it's just because i've been working night shift for like nine years now so it's like mm-hmm. i'm kind of the night time is when i'm kind of used to being awake which can help but i mean especially in these the fall winter months it gets darker earlier and it just mm-hmm. like it's dark for so long but i guess um uh, what drew you to the shell toey were you just doing some research and you found it or i think so i I think uh i was wanting to do my first long trail i guess i would consider that a long trail you know it's not like the the at or pct or cdt but i mean it's it's that mid that middle of the road length i wanted something i could go spend a week or two on most people through hike that trail in three to four weeks yeah um but i I wanted to take on a longer challenge and see how far and fast I could go. I'd never done anything like this. And yeah, somehow I stumbled across the Sheltoe Trace. I'm not sure, but I was like, man, this is pretty close to home. You know, I can get to the Northern Terminus in three and a half hours. Oh yeah. Uh, real close to the Red River Gorge. And it actually goes right through the Red River Gorge uh, in, a couple, in a couple other popular areas. So I was familiar with the gorge already. And, you know, I just thought this sounds like the perfect length of trail to go yeah. do my very first long one. Yeah, because I, I mean, it's grown since you have started. It was was it probably around like three fifteen, three nineteen, your first time you did it, or it was three thirty three when I did it. Now, when the first FKT was established on it in two thousand seventeen, it was only three hundred nineteen, okay, or three hundred and twenty, maybe something twenty something miles. But yeah, it seems like they keep adding on. Um, it's 343. They just did a small reroute. I think that's why they're calling it 341 now. And that's what Gut Hook or uh, the Far Out app, that's what a lot of people use, backpackers use for navigation on these long trails. It used to be called Gut Hook, but now it's called Far okay. Out. Um, they say it's 341, and that's probably pretty, yeah. pretty accurate. But they're getting ready to add another 14 mile section on down to Rugby, Tennessee. So, you know, for the last three years, I've been waiting for that to get done. Yeah, I I contact the Forest Service and the the uh, president of the Sheltoe Trace Association every year, asking when is this going to be done? When's it going to be done? I keep these are so close. It's 14 miles, and I think they have three left. 
Mm. So it's going to be next year sometime at least before they get that section done. But I wanted to include that in one of my attempts. Yeah. But now that all three of my attempts are done and if they do finish that trail next year and it becomes 354, I think is what they say it's going to be. Whoever tries to beat my record is going to have to include those extra miles. Mm, yeah. There's nothing on the FKT website that allows or shows that the trail keeps getting longer. Yeah. It's just called the Sheltowick Trace. So if it's 380 miles someday, I don't know how they're going to deal with that. That's just a, that's a tough one to deal with on the FKT website, but usually you just go with what you have to beat, whatever the, sorry about that. You just have to beat whatever time's out there, even if the trail's gotten longer. So that makes it tougher for future. Yeah. Cause I feel like a lot of runners. trails that people are doing the FKTs on it's, I mean, it's pretty set in stone. Like it's not going to, vary too much a lot of them have been there for quite a long time and stuff but right on your last podcast you did i thought i had heard did you are you pretty much done with that trail as far as the fkts go or yes absolutely i've i have no interest in going back and proving anything on the shelter race um I, I never set out to go for the trilogy, a trifecta of FKTs in every category in, in that trail. It just kind of happened. After I, after I completed my 2021 unsupported, it was a miserable experience. I don't yeah. wish that on anybody. That is horrible. I and, mean, you know, someone like Jeff Garmeyer, who's done the Colorado Trail unsupported, which is incredible to me because it's almost 500 miles. It's just almost impossible to carry enough food and gear to last that long out in the woods. Yeah, without a resupply and it hurts it's painful and and it can get kind of lonely and boring i mean you're out there by yourself the entire time eating the same junk every day day in and day out and it, it was just a horrible experience and i didn't have any desire to ever go and support it again unless it's a small one yeah you know un- the small ones are easy you know you just put a running vest on with some calories even up to 100 miles i would still do those unsupported but when you get the 250 350 400 you know i would have no desire to do the unsupported style again I really enjoyed the supported kind. Yeah. That was, so that was really fun this time. It was more like an ultra race to me. Yeah. I think I remember you updating some on the Facebook, the Sheltoe Facebook group page or something during that attempt. Cause yeah, it, you said it was in 21. I think I can remember like, because I, like I said, I worked night shift. You would be posting mm-hmm. late or just whenever you <laughs> could. But uh, yeah, I just, I feel that way a lot about races too, in that I just am not sure if there's many that I would try for the second time. And I think I probably mm. would try Tunnel Hill again just because it's such a flat course and it's mm-hmm. really easy for like your crew to get to you and a lot of aid stations. But I feel like I do always want to try a different race or somewhere else. And I guess, do you have any interest in doing any other? FKTs or uh, longer hikes or through hikes, fast packing right now. Yeah, or? I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested in um, a couple more FKTs just on the smaller side. But you know, like you said, I, you didn't want to do the same trip. You like to look for different trails, and I've had my fill of the Sheltoe Trace. I think the main reason I came back to it is because I felt like I'd never fulfilled my potential mm. out there. I always had something holding me back. On the unsupported one, it was two days of six stu- a sick stomach and yeah. horrible foot pain. And 
even though I, I beat the record by 26 hours and crushed my previous time, I still feel like I didn't reach my full potential because I had some low 40 mile days and I'm capable. I think I'm capable of doing every day at 60. So I think I was definitely capable of going five and a half days. And I think if, uh, a, uh, a good runner, just even just an average runner with a great crew and perfect weather conditions, I think it's easily attainable to break six days out there. My record's easily going to be beaten if the right person wants it enough and goes out there and has that good conditions and the right crew. But, uh, yeah, I still have a desire to do two more in the short term. Um, I submitted routes on the, to the FKT website of the Allegheny um, section of the NCT, the North Country Trail. That's where I failed twice on the 100 mile or so. It wasn't really an ultra race I was running. I might have been successful if it was an ultra race because I would have had aid stations. I was trying to do it unsupported where I failed twice at mile 83. Um, I still want to go back and get that one because I submitted that as a route and no one has uh, ever completed it yet and submitted it to the FKT website. So it's just sitting out there waiting for someone to grab it. So I, I since I failed on it twice, I still want to go back there one more time and try to get that one. Yeah. And then uh, there's another one in Michigan called the Lower Michigan Triple Crown. It started out as just a backpacking challenge for people to go out and hike three 20-mile loops, three iconic trails in Lower Michigan, and they named it the Lower Michigan Triple Crown. And I I submitted that one as a self-supported because you'd have to drive yourself from each trailhead to the next yeah. loop. They're like 45 minutes apart from each other. So that one's sitting out there for the grab for someone to grab as well. So I'd like to go maybe go back next year. Hmm. And and when the weather's good again, and maybe try to get that one or set a set a stiff time on it, I guess. Yeah. So with the longer stuff, you know, when you're setting out to do this, I know you said you you think that you would expect like 60 miles out of yourself as your potential. Like, are you looking at it as just an entire day? Or are you breaking it down by hour? Like you have to stop and eat or you doing, I would assume you're doing a lot of your eating while moving too. Uh, I mean, do you have any strategy with that? Or are you just kind of trying to get the miles however you can that day? Um, no, I think I definitely have some strategy to it. Um, I knew the kind of pace I, I wanted to put out and I, on the, I actually have a video coming out tonight at eight o'clock. It'll yeah. be part one. No, I'll support that attempt. in the description and I'll, I'll, I'll be watching it tonight. So, and yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. You know, I still got a lot of editing to do. I'm, I enjoy editing my videos. It's, it's yeah. a lot of fun for me. It's like a creative outlet for me. And, and I know a lot of people enjoy watching them, but you know, I'm not, I'm not the greatest editor. I'm not the greatest filmer, but it's fun. I like to be able to look back on my adventures and well, see I what I did before you were doing the backpacking stuff even the videos around your farm were getting a ton of engagement and views likes etc so I mean yeah definitely yeah. have an act for it I can tell I was stretching myself a little thin trying to film too much stuff kayaking farming backpacking FKTs yeah. there's a little bit of everything but um yeah back to the strategy I uh I knew I didn't need to go out and run 10, 11 minute miles the whole time. Yeah. I knew my sweet spot for me was just that slow jog. Like you, like you would when you're taking off on a hundred miler. Um, I knew if I, I wanted to keep them all between that 13 and 18 minute per mile. And I knew there was going to be some road sections where you can walk fast. You know, if you walk fast, you can walk four mile an hour, or 15 minute mile. And I just, I knew if I stayed in that sweet spot there, I wouldn't kill myself 
and I would get the mileage I needed in that eight, 18 hours or less. And that would give me a, a good four hours of actual sleep time, you know, maybe an hour on each end to yeah. get up and get moving. Actually less than that, because I, since I had a crew, they were setting up my camp and tearing down my camp and cooking all my food. So I probably did stop. Not that I stopped too often, but I did have an aid stop about every seven, hmm. five to seven, eight miles, you know, wherever there was a place where they could get to, because that was less stuff I had to carry. Yeah. And I probably, I tried to make my aid stops really quick. I tried to swap out my, maybe my tailwind flasks and water or whatever I was drinking and uh, stuff a couple snacks in my pockets. But a lot of times they would have like a hot bowl of soup or regular food. I think that's what helped me uh, curb these stomach issues this time is I was able to eat a lot of regular food. Yeah. And, you know, the engineered food powders and things like that and gels, you know, they're, they're great for shorter distances and maybe just a one or two day effort. But once you get into the multiple days, you got to, you got to start eating like you do normal or you're just going to, things are going to happen. Yeah. And it, I think that really helped me this time be able to eat normal food. Yeah. I can't imagine that it's enough nutrients alone just going off. If you're just going off of like gels or the drinks and oh stuff. Oh my goodness. And I mean, even just in the shorter stuff, I get so sick of them so quickly. And that's a lot of the reason mm -hmm. why I switch over to trying to eat something more whole food or fruit or stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a hard thing to figure out really. It is. You know, another thing that's hard is pumping enough calories into your body. Yeah. Because you know, that kind of that rule of thumb you hear about all the time around 250 calories an hour minimum, maybe some, you know, yeah. between two and 300 for most people per hour after doing it for running for 15 hours, it gets to be a battle. Yeah. To get that many calories in you. Because I mean, yeah, eventually you start losing your hunger a little bit. You know, you get some distressed stomach from time to time. And eventually it just gets tiring to eat. And But, man, if you start getting behind on your calories, it's hard to get that back. You know, you start losing your energy. And it's hard to get that back once you lose it. Yeah, I just get so tired of even – I guess it's just I get so tired that I don't even feel like doing it. But I guess that's mm -hmm. kind of like I was talking about earlier is the importance of your crew having somebody – well, you need to do this. You need to, you know, you need to eat, you need to drink. Are you, are you peeing? Are you using the restroom at all? You know, kind of check it yeah. in. So I guess like, as far as the crew for you, was that just kind of, I know you said in your previous podcast, you had a coach for this attempt and uh, was he a part of that crew or were these just people that had helped you out before or? Did you kind of set everything up yourself and ask them to follow something or? So I had a really detailed spreadsheet of every single day, um, a list of all the food and drinks I was going to take and all the gear, all a bunch of different categories, um, every aid stop, how many miles it was for me to each aid stop, how many miles it would take for the truck to get to the aid spot and the time. Because sometimes you're 25 mile an hour driving on a windy road up a hill. So, I mean, I, I let everybody in the crew know on the spreadsheet, you know, how long it would take to get to that, that, next aid, that next aid spot. And I gave them coordinates in case there wasn't a cell signal. So I try, I think I had all my bases covered pretty well. Um, and then as far as the coach, my coach was not there. He, Jeff Garmeyer was the one who's coaching me for over the last four months. He's from Bozeman, Montana. So it's basically just coaching over the phone, over email, over text. We never met in person. Um, and prior to him, I did have another coach for a couple months who was uh, 
actually uh, uh, the the uh, oh, what do you call them? The kind of headed up the uh, big turtle race that you ran. Where oh, I actually yeah. met you for the first time. Yeah, not Michael Owen, but Brandon. Brandon was like the he took okay. it over from. Yeah, not Michael Owen. You don't talk about Michael. Yeah. I can't remember his last name. Yeah, Brandon took it over. So I was Brandon was coaching me for a couple months. Okay, and then I got hooked up with Jeff after that, and worked with Jeff for the last four months. But uh, so I didn't have any kind of coach coaches on the trace with me. I did call coach once while I was out there and let him know, hey, I got some serious swelling going on, and there wasn't a lot he could do. You know, he, he gave me a couple suggestions to try. You know, just try to rest and ice and elevate. You know, the typical things that you would you would do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was nice to have someone to bounce some ideas off of if I needed to. And as far as my crew, uh, one of them had crewed me last year on my failed attempt. I did attempt the supported last year in November of 22. And we had, we had to bail because of inclement weather at mile 111. So it's always been eating at me to get back out there and finish this. And that was kind of the main reason I came back. Washed but out. Uh, the other two crew guys I had never met before. Um, I just knew one of them from Strava and one of them, um had reached out to me in the past to plan his through hike on the Sheltoe trace and he's done it three times so he was a wealth of information yeah and really familiar with the trail and that's why that's kind of how i gathered my crew yeah no i i think that's a pretty important part and i mean after doing it like that you know you said you had every five or to seven miles i'm sure it would be hard to go back to unsupported when you're thinking yeah exactly i could do supported but i guess you know since you've done the longer stuff has and i know you said you wanted to finish a hundred miler but has any of the 200 mile destination races or anything piqued your interest at all you know like moab or cocodona or tahoe Probably not. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not that's not saying that I never will I'll never want to do those. I just not on the radar right now. Um, I think what's on my radar right now is getting completely recovered and waiting for that desire to come back, that drive. And I'm starting to feel it a little bit. You know, when, when you fail at something and, and you quit, um, it's. back here but then i that goes away yeah and i want it again and uh so yeah some of the longer ones i'm not really into right now maybe some shorter ones yeah um that one you were read about you read about off my fkt site the baroque state park mm-hmm. is like 22 miles yeah um i might go back and try to get that one again no those yeah, that's are- where i did my very first backpacking trip back in 2016 that's where it all began for me so i kind of have a that one holds a special place in my heart. You maybe go for it again. Uh, Virginia Triple Crown Loop, haven't you? It's... I hiked it, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've always wanted to backpack that one myself. Is it a pretty it's good fun. I know at times it can be hard to get water. I think I read some, but uh, it looked, I mean, it yeah. looks awesome. I've known people that have gone out and they've gone out with a group and ran it in a day they kind of set up some aid stuff but i would want to yeah. do more of a multi-day thing kind of just enjoy it because i know there's like three different distinct points right uh mcafee knob being one of the most popular picture spots on the at mm-hmm. but uh, adding on to just the longer stuff have you ever 
I mean, I'm sure it'd be a little harder just with what you got going on at home and whatnot. But have you ever thought about any through hikes or like longer, like AT, PCT or CDT or? Yeah, probably the AT is as far as the long trails of the three long trails. That one's probably the one I'd be more interested in. I don't have a lot of desire to go out west right now. Even yeah. though there's a bunch of national parks, I would love to go spend some time backpacking in. Um, I'm, you know, I'll get out there eventually, but man, I just hear these horror stories about lines yeah. at the national parks and all the crowds and the people flocking to them. And, and then the permits you got to get to get into some of these backcountry sites and trails. And I just don't have a desire to, to go out there and mess with that. I mean, eventually I want to do the John Muir trail, but you know, again, that, that can be yeah. tough to get your, the right permits when you want to go. So the Appalachian trail probably makes the most sense for me right now for, as far as the long trails go. And it, it is a little dream in the back of my mind. I've talked about it with my wife, um, you know, in, in another year, I'm, we're going to be empty nesters. All of our kids will be in college or, you know, right now the house and it would be easier for us to get away. The problem yeah. is, is my, my career kind of makes that a little bit tough because our farming season is basically five months long and I have to be here during the spring, summer and fall to yeah. grow and sell all our vegetables and make a living. But, uh, I would probably go Sobo southbound starting at Katahdin and yeah. around Labor Day and then just try to finish up at Springer Mountain before the really cold, brutal winters moves in in the middle of December. Yeah. So that would still give me like five months or something, I think. To, it seems get, like about four months to get it done. It's a lot. Of, I feel like it's a lot easier, too, because really only pro, the only <clears throat> area that I guess you have to get a permit in would be the Smokies, I think, is the only yeah. That's a little weird about where you're staying and stuff like that. Otherwise, I think you're pretty much good to go once you get your tag and all of that stuff. Yep. Yep. But, and it's so easy. Yeah. So if we were talking about going southbound, yeah, we were talking yeah. about going southbound on AT, and I, I think what I was. Uh, talking about earlier was about how I probably have my wife follow me down the trail mm -hmm. in our camper because yeah. it's so easy to resupply. You know, I just have her meet up with me at a trailhead every three or four days and, and resupply that way. Would you and have way a she could certain be amount of time that you would want to do it in, or are you just kind of enjoying it and just, because I feel like at the end of the day, you still probably want to go a little bit quick. Yeah. It's always in the back of my mind. I've always thought I'd want to do it in a hundred days, but man, that's, Oh, that's yeah. moving. I don't know if I could handle. Eventually, when you get your trail legs, yes, yeah, some thirty mile days that we're gonna have are gonna happen, especially when you're in the easier sections. But uh, I think a twenty five mile a day, still, uh, you can still move a little bit quick and still enjoy it. You would be getting through, I guess the, I can't remember. I guess it's in maybe Vermont or the, is it the hundred mile wilderness or something? I know there's a yeah. section up there that's just terribly rocky and pretty brutal from what just some of yeah. the blogs and stuff that I've watched uh, on that and whatnot. But uh, right. I wanted to get into a little bit because we didn't earlier um, just kind of, I know you said it, you've always been a part of, it's a family farm, I'd assume, or how many generations or just kind of yeah. how that's kind of been a part of your life and you know, what all mm -hmm. is entailed in that and what all you guys do there. Okay. Yeah. I'm a fourth generation farmer on our family farm. And we actually just got a, 
a certification for a century farm uh, just okay. recently, something you have to apply for when your farm's over 100 years old. So I thought that was pretty cool. There's not a lot of those around. Um, so I was a dairy farmer. We were four, I was a fourth generation dairy farmer and we sold the cows in 2001 when I was 28 years old, even though I had went to Ohio State University and got a degree in animal sciences and I was planning to come back and milk cows my whole life. Uh, things kind of changed a couple years yeah. after college and I was raising sweet corn kind of on the side um, just as, to make some extra cash. And that kept growing and growing. More and more people were wanting our sweet corn because we live on a pretty busy highway. Uh, U.S. route that goes right by my house and customers were asking for other vegetables. They would say, uh, hey, if you had green beans or tomatoes, I'd buy those too. So it got me thinking. The wheel started turning and uh, one thing led to another. I just kept growing more and more items each year, adding to the, uh, the mix. And before I knew it, I was making enough money to make a living and I was losing interest in the cows. And it was a, my dad was too. My dad had done it his whole life and mm -hmm. we either had to get bigger and expand or get out. And yeah. we were kind of at a turning point and we had to make a decision. And I was like, I think I want to be a vegetable farmer. And we decided to go ahead and sell the cows. We got out at a good time and mom and dad still farm on the family farm, about a thousand acres of corn and beans. And I just rent ground from them mm. on the family farm to raise my vegetables. And Let's see. I've been married to my wife, Kristen, for 25 years and we have three adult children now. And they've always been a, a part of the produce operation from yeah. the day they were able to walk. You know? So they kind of grew up in the greenhouses. We have a couple greenhouses and going to farmer's markets and selling produce right on the street to the customers at farmer's markets. And yes, it's provided a, a good living for us. And but it's hard work and. I miss a lot of opportunities that others get to experience during the summer. You know, I'm yeah. not going to the lake house, you know, on, and enjoying a, a summer on the beach, that kind of thing. You know, when people are on doing their vacations in the summer, that's when we're working hard and making our living. But this time of year, come November, December, January, is kind of my downtime. And I get more time to travel and play and relax and um, kind of regroup and get ready for the next year. Um, so we will spend time in the South where it's warm. Cause I don't like the winters anymore. The older I get, so I, I don't enjoy the snow. I'm not into really skiing or snowboarding like I was when I was younger. So when we have time, we'll hook up the camper and drive South or fly to, uh, Florida. We have a timeshare in Sarasota on Lido beach in okay. Florida. We go to every year. Um, yeah. So I guess growing up on the farm, and I kind of talked about it a little bit in the beginning. It it gave me a love for being outdoors because I had lots of opportunities to be outdoors. And I think uh, even though I wasn't in the backpacking or kayaking or running that much as a kid, um, just knowing how much I enjoy being outdoors uh, helped me figure out what I what kind of hobbies I like as an adult. And yeah. you know, I really enjoy the backpacking, the kayaking, and things like that. I guess it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, when you say you're kind of bit really busy, a lot of the times whenever you're going out on these adventures, I feel like they would just, you kind of look at them maybe a different way as like they're, it's really nice to just get out and kind of do something else, you know, kind of a getaway almost of sorts. And mm -hmm. curious how that kind of tie, like whenever you're out, 
and you're doing these, the, especially the longer hikes and you're getting into these lower, you know, there's so many highs and lows out there, you know, what for you, because I mean, it's such a long amount of time to be out there, especially if you're doing it alone, what do you feel like Mm -hmm. helps you get through some of those lows? Do you feel like it's been a lot of the lifetime of hard work or being outside or anything ties into that or just you've always been able to push through kind of that type of stuff? I don't, I don't see myself as being able to push through a lot when I was younger. I think it's something that came with uh, building a business from the ground up and just working on a farm my whole life. I, I, I learned the importance of discipline and responsibility. And um, I think those things kind of spilled over into building my own career then with the produce business. Um, it had to take, there's a lot of determination and grit and um, drive and ambition, you know, just all those things kind of, uh, played into that starting a business and it kind of poured over into then my, uh, into my FKTs and my backpacking, just to be able to push through. Um, since I've experienced that a lot in my younger yeah. years, I, I felt, I felt like that, uh, helped me a little bit from time to time to get through those hard times out on trail for sure. And, and in, in the FKTs are definitely a roller coaster ride. I'm just like a hundred miler. You know how you just up and down. You can be so high one minute and all of a sudden it just falls apart and you come crashing down. And you're like, how can you ever get out of this mental low when things are going bad? And it's just, it's like that for the entire week on, a, on one of those F, a 350 mile FKT. It just, it was a roller coaster ride. And then I think the other thing that um, helps me is my faith. Um, just, you know, I'm a Christian and, and knowing that, uh, my Lord and Savior is with me right there along yeah. the way on the trail. And, you know, he, he lifts me up and, you know, I, I carry on a conversation with him while I'm out there on the trail. Yeah. And, you know, he gives, I just feel peace and joy and comfort, you know, when I'm out there on the trail, knowing that he's with me. So no. that helps me through a lot of times too. That's all. Yeah. I think for me, especially five years, I had DNF'd in two races, one of them, that I got to 72 or 73, but it's just, mm-hmm. I think I finally will see in the next race that I do, but I think I finally just kind of broke through a, a barrier of not focusing so heavy on the lows when they happen and just kind of letting myself know that most of the time, obviously, unless it's something super serious that you're going to make it through that and you're probably going to go into mm-hmm. a high point and it's going to be, you'll feel great for a little while and it's going to come again. I think that's just one of the big parts of these longer endeavors and stuff, no matter what you're doing, if it's a long trail or a race or whatever, it's just, it's yeah. not, yeah. I kept telling myself, A, I signed up for this. Like I signed up and paid money like this. I mean, you, I'm not as some elite athlete. I like know going into this, that there's going to be a lot, some very low points for me that I'm going to have to battle through kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, thought about running the no business 100? Yes. I have quite a few friends. Uh, I have a real good friend that did it this past year and another friend that did it two years ago. And there's like a group of three or four of us that have kind of, already said that we're pretty sure we're going to sign up. Um, but I, I, I was on the waiting list this past year and, uh, we got married October 14th and 
it just it would have been the week after we got married and it was just way too much so uh, that's when i was like i'll just go to do tunnel hill but yeah i i definitely would like to do that race next year but the right okay. i have on my calendar that i'm signed up for for 2024 is uh i signed up for the mohican 100 so far Ooh. Yeah, I know. I, I tried to go up there during COVID for the 50 miler, but of course COVID uh-huh. happened that year and they rescheduled it and I ended up not going up there. But um, I've been wanting to do that race for a while. But uh, do you have any, your eyes on any races or I know you said you wanted to go back for that uh, route that you had in mind, but yeah. Um. I kind of was looking for something here in the short term to do like a 50 miler for my 50th birthday, but there's not really any late December uh, ultras around that I can find, you know, without traveling really, really far. I was trying to find something, you know, in the, within the the state, my state or the next state over, you know, there's not really anything out there. So I can't, yeah, I know they kind of hit a low there for a while during December and I don't know if Mm -hmm. it's january and stuff but i know they do do um obviously mohican but that's in june which that's kind of something i'm worried about too is it being too warm because tunnel hill it was just oh boy yeah perfect weather for me that big turtle the big turtle can be really warm even in april 22nd or something like that it was it was nice no, the year that I met you when you were running the 50 miler. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, that was the real hot year. I was yes. out there pacing uh, somebody <laughs> for the final 15 miles. It, it was, was pretty ridiculous. And I think the year before it was downpour and people were wearing jackets and things like that. So you just, you just never know. But yeah, yeah. I've thought about, I think there's, there's a land between the lakes. That's a yeah. 50 miler. That's earlier in the year. Um, there's actually the Salt Fork Lake in Ohio. The Bigfoot 50 is actually this week. next Well, next week on the 7th. Oh, but wow. I'm going to be gone. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I need to do a 50-miler probably sometime before um, June. So we'll see on that. But that's really all that I have on for the mm-hmm. docket because it's just – the recovery has been a little longer. We're supposed to do a 5k tomorrow and I'm still not even completely comfortable about doing that Mm. because I've just had some, it's kind of just real tense in the back of my calf and it's still Mm -hmm. foot flexes. Those tendons there are still really sore too, but I just imagine it takes a while. I can't imagine sleeping and then I got a 5k coming up. Oh, to, are you Sorry. running one for uh, Thanksgiving as well? Yeah. Um, it's actually on Friday evening. Okay. It's not a turkey. You know, they're all called turkey trots or whatever. Yeah. This one's not on Thanksgiving Day. It's on the day after Thanksgiving at 5 in the evening. So um, I'm kind of curious how I can do. I yeah. said, I feel like I'm recovered enough, but I haven't run in five weeks. I don't know how long it takes to start losing fitness. It's going to start happening by this yeah, time, I think. But, sure. It's just, I'm I curious what I kind of have banked from my last race and especially for you, what you've kind of banked from the 340 something miles that you did. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how long that sticks around, but I'm sure your body kind of remembers that it's gone that long. I would assume. But I guess another thing I wanted to touch on was 
maybe just some tips and uh, suggestions for anyone wanting to get into backpacking or fast packing or what you would recommend to start out with and okay um i think let's start from the ground up shoes are so important every ultra runner knows how important shoes are and everybody has their own preference for what works best for them i'm not a hoka guy some people yeah. swear up and down it's got to be hoka you know I, they help fit my feet i'm used yeah. to wearing those wide toe box shoes like ultra Mm -hmm. um like the backpackers wear and i uh i think you gotta figure out what shoe is gonna work best for you um if you don't like ultras because of the zero drop you can and you maybe aren't in a hokas another one to look at is topo a lot of runners are using topo athletic i love the topo shoes i got a couple different styles of topos it's got their um, running shoe. So yeah you figure out what shoe works best for you and and then as far as uh clothing you can pretty much you know, if you're if you're an ultra runner wanting to get into fast packing, you ba basically wear the same clothing. Obviously, you want to have a lightweight shell, um, a rain jacket or a wind jacket or something to keep you out of the weather. And then a lot of backpackers will wear something called a rain skirt or a rain kilt. Mm. It's just a piece of Dyneema, like that Dyneema composite fiber, what a lot, which a lot of the lightweight tents and backpacks are made out of. Yeah, um, it just kind of wraps around your waist and keeps your shorts dry. You aren't really worried about from the knees down. Because you're going to get wet anyway when it rains, unless you're all decked out in full rain gear. So that's a way, one way to backpackers stay ultra light is just wearing that little rain skirt with a, a lightweight rain jacket or even maybe something like frog togs. Mm -hmm. um, and then as far as the pack, I got a couple different packs that um, I've used over the years. I started out with a Light AF. They're out of New Jersey. Uh, they're a pretty popular company now for backpackers. They got some really good gear. But they're mainly for backpacking, not real, not so much fast packing. Uh, and then I moved into a Palante Joey. Uh, a lot of people have used those in the past for fast packing. Even String Bean used one of those on his Vermont yeah. Long Trail FKT. I bought maybe one. Some of the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, I bought one after you. I think one of your videos, you might have talked about it, but I just got it because I was, mm. this my last semester of school, I was, uh, I like pretty much said I wasn't because we live only like a mile and a half from where I was going. And I was like, I'm not going to drive there because the parking was just always so expensive. So I was like, I need something that I can run with, but also holds quite a bit. But yeah, it, that, needless to say, it's a great pack. I really like it. But Yeah. Yeah. And I still have that pack, um, but I haven't used it this year much. Um, because I was getting into more of the running and I knew I was going to go supported. So I just been using my Solomon. Yeah. Um, What's that? The skin Advent sky skin five or whatever, a little yeah, five liter pack. Yes. Well. So I love that thing. And then uh, for the hundred miler though, actually I did. I, you know, I attended that 100 miler twice. The first time I used a new pack from Nashville packs. They have yeah. a really small, I think it's a 17 liter pack or no, it's 11. I think the Joey's a 17 liter. This is only 11 liter, I think. It's really small, hmm. but it's called a Tiempo. And it has, even though it's built by a backpacking company, their, their straps that go, your shoulder straps are removable to go on different backpacks that they produce hmm. and make. So you can move it from a small backpack all the way up to a 30 or 40 liter backpack. So I bought a couple packs from them and I really like that uh, running style vest Tiempo. It was a, a lot smaller than the Joey. And I was able to run with it, even with a, a hundred mile worth of gear. And, oh, I know, I remember why I, I got that 
was wearing that pack instead of my vest because the hundred miler I did was um, an unsupported attempt mm. and there was no aid stations. And it started at six o'clock at night. It was actually a challenge hike called the A100 challenge. Okay. And they give you 50 hours to complete it. And I was, that was my first attempt at 100 miles. So you had to take gear to sleep in unless you were going to walk straight through the night. So right. I did pack a, a small lightweight quilt and a, uh, a bivy. Yeah. So I could lay down and sleep because starting at 6 PM, that's a bad time of the day to start to do a yeah. hundred miles. <laughs> You're going into it tired from being up all day and then yeah. in through the night. And it was rough on me. That's, you know, I got the mile 40 and I just felt like I needed to sleep. So I was able to lay down for a little bit. So that was what was great about the tempo from Nashville packs is that I could fit just enough gear in there and still be able to run with it. Um, I don't know what head, I don't, know what headlamps a lot of these ultra runners are using but i use one that i use for backpacking just because it's really light and it's rechargeable it's called the yeah. night uh the in night core in u25 backpackers using use that one quite a bit uh trekking poles everybody's into these lightweight uh carbon fiber poles and i like lightweight poles but i like aluminum everybody breaks their carbon fiber poles yeah you get them caught in a rock and they'll snap on you Aluminum bends, so you just bend it right back. Yeah. And I use a pair called the Fizan, F I Z A N, Fizan Compact Threes, because it's a three part and they telescope together. My favorite pole. They have, I've never heard comfortable. of them before. You might want to check those out. But the Fizan Compact Three, and they make one called the Compact Four as well, that even telescopes smaller for like uh, being able to travel on a plane better than a carry on. Um, but those are, they actually have words written on the pole, the trekking pole that says world's lightest aluminum trekking pole. And I forget <laughs> how many grams they are, but they are light as a feather. They're yeah. amazing. Really like those. Uh, what other kind of gear for backpacking? Yeah. Then you start getting into, you know, what kind of food you need to be able to get through a backpacking trip or yeah. a fast packing trip. And I think in that case, you can kind of start, um, using your, knowledge as an ultra runner if you're already yeah. ultra running and do an overnight backpacking trip you kind of just use some of those same things and then maybe just move into a little more substantial regular food in addition i think people can definitely overestimate you know being out there and you know dealing with temperature <clears throat> change like how cold it can actually get at night whenever you're backpacking or anything like that and just i guess being safe out there it's not mm -hmm. a lot different ordeal i think people kind of fail to realize that to some extent it's just being safe and there's a lot of other things out there especially like you said if you're out west uh, i would mm -hmm. rather have to worry about a bear or something than the mountain lions and stuff like that because yeah there's a guy i follow he i think he was doing a 100 miler out in prescott arizona or something and he ran he just saw a huge set of eyes in the middle of the night and he almost quit at that point i was like yeah probably would have wow. as well yeah that'd be freaky <laughs> but i guess um wrapping up i usually ask um to talk about well you kind of already have just one of your dnfs kind of what happened uh mm -hmm. one of your favorite races and or uh any endurance endeavor that you've done and then kind of like a dream race uh mm -hmm. whatever you want to do <clears throat> well yeah i've uh i dnf'd on the uh 
Susquehannock Trail, my very first attempt, the 86 mile loop out in North Central PA. That was that that was before I had any clue about what was going to happen to me when I hit hit that wall at mile 60 or 70 or 80. I just didn't know. You know, I went into it overconfident and I still trying to figure out the distressed stomach part of it. You know, I feel yeah. like that's just going to be a more and more experience of running these altars to figure out how to dial in exactly the proper balance of salts and electrolytes, engineer food versus real food and staying hydrated. I think it's just a combination of all of that mm-hmm. to, to get dialed in properly. So you don't have a sick stomach because like you, like you said earlier, there's been races where, I've done some 50 mile races where I never felt a sick stomach once, never, not at all. Yeah. And then other races or FKTs that, uh, I felt it coming on at mile 35 mm-hmm. and I'm like, what's the difference? Why can't, why is this happening on an FKT, but not on an ultra? So I'm still trying to get that figured out. Um, I don't think I've DNF'd on any other ultras cause I haven't ran anything over a 50 miler. I'm always yeah. able to complete my 50 Ks. When I'm in a 50K, I'm always telling myself, why would I want to do a 50 miler? This is already brutal enough. <laughs> I'm so glad when the 50Ks are over. Yeah, that was the rough part. 14 miles or whatever it is. That was the miles. rough part about Tunnel Hill is they do not, uh, they will not give you a DNF if you get past 50 miles. You just go into the 50 miler pool and that's where your time is. So, oh, so huh. they have a high uh dropout rate at the 50 mile mark because you come through uh okay finish line there right at 50 and uh go back out and i was like i am getting in and out of this stop as fast as i can just so i just don't even let myself think about it because it's hard it definitely is but um what is the what's like been one of the your favorite things that you've ever done really whether that's the race or uh, FKT or just backpacking mm-hmm. trail. Yeah, I probably have tend to lean towards my favorite things being where I'm not in pain and suffering, <laughs> <laughs> which would be backpacking and yeah, kayak camping. I really enjoy kayak camping. I kind of like they're like two different ends of the spectrum because mm-hmm. backpacking. When I go backpacking, I'm usually still pushing myself. I'm usually trying to see as much as I can. So if I have a four day backpacking or five or six day backpacking trip available. Yeah, I could go out there and just do 10 or 12 miles, maybe like an average backpacker might, but I want to see more of the trail. Maybe I want to see 100 miles of the trail instead of 50 or 60. So I will push myself and go longer days, but I still, I will not night hike when I'm on a backpacking trip because I want to enjoy a campfire. I like to get to camp a couple hours before dark, make sure I have time to set up my gear, set up my camp, gather firewood that's going to last for a couple hours and film. Since I'm a YouTuber, and I film all my adventures that takes extra time that I have to a lot account for when I'm setting up camp because I'm filming a lot of things from different angles and it takes time to do all that. And it definitely slows, slows you down on the trail a little bit too. When you're stopping doing, if you're doing walk by shots or what, whatnot, yeah. um, stopping to fly the drone, you know, all those things take a lot of extra time. So you always got to account for that, but yeah, the kayak camping, um, that's where I like to do my relaxing. That's yeah. where I'm recuperating. It still takes effort to stop and set a camera up or fly the drone and you still, you know, get everything ready at camp, just like you would on a backpacking trip. But, you know, you're, you're floating down a river, yeah. you know, I like going rivers because when I kayak, I like the water to do the work for me. I'm not out there to 
paddle my butt off and get an arm workout. I'm out there to relax and enjoy nature. My buddy that kayaks with me says it's hike, like hiking with your arms. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask is if you have to kind of pay attention to water levels and stuff whenever you're going out to do oh, yeah. kayak stuff. And I guess that yeah, kind of- it definitely makes a difference on which river you choose, depending on what the, the flow rate is or the depth of the water, because some rivers will be dry in the summer. Yeah. And you might want to hit those in the spring and other rivers never change. So you have, it like, always takes a lot of time to figure out where to go kayaking. Yeah. So I'm always looking for new rivers. And this time of year, I'm not going to go kayak in Ohio when it's 40, 30, 40 degrees out. I want to go somewhere where it's warm. So we've been searching for a, a December kayaking location down the South somewhere right now. You have to be determined. Have like predetermined, um, places you know you're going to stop to camp for the night or is it just kind of you're looking or is that something that's a is there any like apps or anything that kind of or people have posted kind of a blog or anything like that that Mm -hmm. beforehand that you kind of look for oh yeah there's all there's several different uh kayaking blogs that are out there um and youtube videos Um, a lot of the state parks or even the um, travel sites will have information on water trails actually designated water trails and sometimes they'll have campsites or campgrounds or shelters every 10 or 15 miles for example but not always sometimes you're on a river that's not highly traveled and i like to explore new places and when you're on a river like that you kind of just stealth camp on the bank when you see a nice clear spot where it's safe to set up i'll be able maybe on a sandbar or an island or something like Mm. that yeah um so yeah, that, you definitely got to do your research. And another thing that makes it difficult is how you're going to get back to your vehicle. So yeah. it's nice to line up ahead of time, working with a livery or a, an outfitter that can hop in your truck with you and drop you off at the start and then take your truck and leave it for you at the end. That okay. way, when you're done, you don't have to try to contact them and wait for your truck. Your truck's there waiting for you, ready to go home. Oh, Yeah. And I guess last uh, kind of a dream race or dream hike or anything that you had, like is at the top of your list. If you had unlimited amount of time or funds, what you mm-hmm. would want to do. I think my dream hike right now is probably the Northville Placid Trail in the Adirondacks. Okay. I've done, I've done the Adirondacks part of it, of the High Peaks Wilderness. I think we went climbed up over five or six of the mountain peaks and ended on Mount Marcy, the highest point in New York. That was an incredible trip. And then I discovered the Northville Placid Trail, which is kind of the opposite part of the Adirondacks, the lower sections, like down in the valleys and along the lakes and the streams um, and the old growth forest with the moss everywhere on the ground, you know, kind of, you just picture walking into Narnia or something, you know, Um, that's kind of a dream of mine. It's 130 mile end to end hike. Okay. So, Definitely want to get on there. And, you know, we talked about the Appalachian Trail. It's not really in the short-term goal of mine to do the through hike, but I definitely want to hit some sections. I'd like to hike the 104-mile Shenandoah mm-hmm. section. Even though I've driven down the Skyline Drive camping, I've never hiked. I would like to hike the Appalachian Trail section through the Shenandoahs and maybe the Smoky Mountains. I've never hiked in the Smoky Mountains yet. Yeah. Um, I'm still in the middle of finishing up my section hike on the Palmetto Trail. That's the 500 mile trail that goes through the entire state of South Carolina. I'm about a, I got 250 miles of it done. I'm going to be doing another hundred and some mile section 
this February. Okay. And then eventually I'll finish up the Florida trail. I've only done a hundred miles of it, but I'll get back down there eventually and do another winter hike in Florida. So I yeah, I don't really have another, any races in the, on the radar, maybe the no business. I mean, I no I, business I is on my stomping grounds, you know? <laughs> yeah. I've heard very, very good things about it. I think it's kind of cool for those mm -hmm. that have gone back is you, they flip flop each year, uh, which way they're going. So I know there's people that have gotten the double buckle and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah I've heard really good things about that race, just the, how it's put on the aid stations and just how beautiful it is. I mean, right. It's right. it a beautiful section. Yeah. We don't really have, I mean, we have uh, like one, the crooked Creek, a hundred miler, but besides that, I don't think we really have a lot of, um, uh, longer races like that so it would mm -hmm. and that goes i think it partially goes through kentucky i want to say no business but yeah it does yeah it's a little bit in tennessee and kentucky but no yeah. jason this um, has been a there was a lot of there was quite a few runners that we were that were on that course when we were running when i was doing my fkt oh, okay. i thought i was gonna get through there before they started but i ended up overlapping with them just a little bit so we got to pass some of the where we where i came on to the race course it was probably some of the maybe the back third yeah of the runners all the night and we were passing them pretty easily but yeah. it, it was it was kind of neat seeing some of them running out in front of me it, it kind of gave me a little spark like i need to pass oh, it'd be people. great to just see somebody really <laughs> yeah yeah it was nice <laughs> i've really enjoyed this man uh and really appreciate you coming on and i just wanted to give you a chance to kind of tell everyone where they can find you at whether that's instagram facebook and then also i will list all of uh the youtube information as well and even if this isn't posted today i'm going to post that on instagram today as well so but yeah just go ahead with that yeah um speaking of instagram i don't do a lot with instagram i'm more of a facebook guy um so it, my instagram is jason wish underscore Wishwell farms and then we also have a farm instagram which is flip-flop Wishwell farms underscore jason wish <laughs> so i didn't really plan it that way it's just kind of what was available when i was yeah. typing things, those things out trying to get an account started um facebook is just jason wish and then we also have the farm one under Wishwell Farms. Um, and then as far as my YouTube channel, it's uh, at Jason Wish dash. And I don't know. I've tried to get it just my name. For some reason, I had put something else at the end. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, it has a, it's Jason Wish dash at Jason Wish dash. But it's just if you Google or search Jason Wish on YouTube, you're going to see all my stuff pop up. OK. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers most of my All socials. right, man. I appreciate it. We it was a great time, man, and I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it.